The Bo Show. Coming to terms with your own sexual orientation or identity isn't always the easiest thing, especially when you're brought up to believe being gay is a sin and the government kills gay children and will most likely kill you if you act gay. That's what happened to MIT grad student Samuel Britton. He endured years of what some people consider torture. It's called conversion or reparative therapy sometimes called praying the gay away or converting to a heterosexual orientation. It's important to note that this form of therapy is not scientifically supported and it's denounced by the American Psychological Association. It's been 40 years since the APA declassified homosexuality as a mental disorder. So we need to talk to this fella. Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's a real honor. I came across your story online. I have to say, you are a survivor. I mean, that's the only way you could put it. You're a survivor and such a strong man because I don't know if many people would be able to go through what you did. I have a really amazing support system. I think the biggest part about survivors is that you have to be able to reach out to those around you and tell them when you need help. I realized that I'd gone through some tough times and I have amazing friends who kind of step up the plate beside me each and every day to make sure that I get through. Let's kind of go way back. Let's start at the beginning. And why don't you tell us a little bit about your family, your background? Because from what I read, you come from a pretty religious family. Absolutely. So my parents met at Pensacola Christian College and then decided that my family would serve as missionaries. Now, missionaries tend to be religiously affiliated and go and share that religious message with other individuals. For example, we spent a few years in the Eha tribe, which is a tribe in the Amazon in Bolivia, South America. So, you know, strong in faith and very strong in, in that type of action. So when it came to actually being gay or anything, dealing with the LGBT community, I can't imagine them being too receptive. Yeah, I really didn't know, I guess, at first, because they really didn't bring up the word LGBT or, or gay ever. When I told my dad for the first time, I didn't know the word gay. I didn't know the words to use. And so later find out we're very non-supportive of the LGBT lifestyle. But at the beginning, I guess, we just didn't really talk about it. It all started with a Playboy magazine, no? That's right. So a Playboy got into the commune, but one of the other guys had found it in the trash or whatever. It was funny because I felt that I was so holy and righteous that it didn't affect me. So I went and told my dad, saying, you know, that... I didn't have those kind of feelings, and that I did sometimes have those thoughts, though, when I thought of my best friend, Dale. And my father's face just drops. There's so much anger. I remember him coming toward me, and then I don't remember what happened directly after. I woke up in the um, missionary emergency room. So downstairs, my father had just punched me out cold. That was my introduction to how I was going to be treated as a young gay child. You know, the thing, Sam, when I saw your story and the part that you just told is just the innocence in which you approached it is proof that it's not a choice, that you were just talking about how you felt and your reaction to the images you were seeing. And that's one of the parts of your story that I think is so important is if we lived in a society, and now I'm just preaching, if we lived in a society where it was okay to be exactly who you are, then children would just grow up either liking this person or that person, this gender, that gender, both genders, everybody in between, and it wouldn't be an issue, but it's, you know. 
unfortunately, a lot of people can't just grow up to be who they are, and sometimes their parents want them to be someone else, and that's exactly what happened here with Sam. So, Sam, why don't we talk a little bit about the beginning of the conversion therapy and how that started and what happened with that? I'll, I'll always remember the, me, the first time we get to the building, and the man's coffee table had seven Bibles sitting on it. I looked over at my mom. I was like, Mom, you must love the Bible just as much as we do. <laughs> this, like, thinking it was going to be so much better than getting hit by your father. Like, this, is, this sounds perfect. And she just smiled down at me and said, yes, he does. Yes, he does. And we went into his room. I sat on a couch. And he started with what I would consider the mental abuse of conversion therapy. Now, recognize my conversion therapy experience is different from everyone else's. I don't claim to have the same, and that should be kind of torn out there so that way people don't think that every conversion therapy is just like this. But mine was told, I was, the first thing I was told after getting to know me a little bit was, Sam, the reason that you're here is that the government has killed every gay child that they found. Whoa. Um, there's no one left. Your parents are trying to protect you and are trying to make sure that you're not killed by the government. How old were you at this point? About 11. Okay. Oh, my God. And the people yeah, that um, love you the most are telling you that the government is killing gay children. Yes. You've also got to remember now, I've lived in South America. I've lived in South Africa. I've seen government apartheid. The concept of a government coming in and shooting people is not... Unheard of. You know, not unheard of at all. Yeah. Now I get it. Uh, yeah. That, that seems normal. So scary. Um, and, I, of course, I've never heard of another gay person before my father had obviously reacted strongly like to me this completely made sense and i was of course terrified you want to keep a child from ever coming out tell them that the government will shoot them if they find them like that's the definition of keeping yourself in the closet that's called terror yeah yeah that is the definition of terror we stayed in mental for a bit after i came back in two weeks it was aids all gay children had aids that was why the government killed them so I was shown pictures of men who were dying of AIDS. And he said, because you are gay, you already have this inside of you. Of course, now I'm terrified that I'm going to die if I come out. I'm terrified because apparently I have this disease that I don't know of. And then on the third session, it was something that may not make sense to a lot of in the LGBT community, but for me, it was one of the most excruciating. And it was that my God didn't love me anymore. I was a missionary kid. I had been raised talking to God every single day. The one constant in my life was that I knew that God loved me. We started going through the verses and then starting to make the connection that those abominations were me. I was just sitting by my bed praying for hours and hours on end when I would get home. Didn't your mother and father keep you in your bedroom and tell your sister that you killed somebody? Yes. Um... So, sorry, I don't mean to laugh. I apologize. I, obviously, this started, once we moved in, especially once we moved into aversion therapy, my body started to literally look horrifying. My sister's seen me with all the bruises from my father punching. She's seen me just in tears every single time we come back from conversion. And I told her, and she looked over at me and said, thank God, they told me that you had murdered someone, and I couldn't figure out who in the world you had murdered. And I can't, I can't even fathom how much that destroyed my relationship with my sister as I was growing up. To have her think that I was a murderer, that they were literally hiding like a murderer in her own house. How long did this go on for? Roughly about two years. 
Wow. Sam, so you said, I don't want to get into the gory details or anything about the conversion therapy. I mean, you could chat about it a little bit, but from what I understand, there's a step one, there's a step two, there was a step three, and culminated with something you called a hell week? I might have said week. It probably didn't come out through all the way. It was a little bit more like a month, but it was electroshock. So <gasps> I appreciate not having to go into the details because it's, it's already going to be painful tonight. Every single time, you, the reason that you don't hear a lot about conversion therapy is that the aversion therapy sets a lot into your mind because you're getting a physical reaction to something. For example, for myself, I was getting electrocuted when I was seeing pornographic pictures of men having sex. Wow. That doesn't, that's not untrainable, I guess is the best way of putting it. Like, I'm in therapy now, real therapy, trying to, you know, get me into a normal mental state. But the reason that conversion therapy survivors are so rare to come forward or, in most cases, die is that there's so much physical pain associated with what is going on that you hold that pain for the rest of your life. Sam, what really broke my heart when I read your article was how you said to this day you cannot get rid of the shock. So whenever you touch a, a significant other now, you still feel sometimes a shock? Your body reacts that way? That is absolutely true. Um, wow. So the current boyfriend knows that he cannot come up behind me to hug me. I might literally have a seizure because the pain would be so bad. But I've learned to, when I see someone coming up to me, that I identify as a male. Because it's not just the boyfriend. It's anyone who I see as a male. If I touch them, I still have... I mean, it's not nearly to the level, obviously, that it originally was. Um, but I'm still getting shocked. So I have to see someone coming, and I'm the one who generally puts out my hand or goes out to hug them myself. So that way I take the pain onto myself rather than them giving it to me. My very first kiss, after it was finished, I walked out of the room and puked because it was so excruciatingly painful that I couldn't deal with it. Where is this doctor now? Do you know where he is so that you can prosecute him or something? <laughs> One, we don't think he's practicing anymore. Two, it was a religious organization, so it's very, very difficult to find them because they can so easily switch. Three would be, I've searched for therapy providers in the area, and none of them are remotely close to what I remember. Also, the statute of limitations is over, so it doesn't matter anymore. My work mm. right now concentrates on making sure that no one else goes through the hell that I went through. Sam, there are currently around 70 conversion therapists across the country, many of which are religious. So what yeah. do you have to say to these folks who are practicing this still to this day? You may not be shocking a child, but you are destroying, destroying their hopes of having a normal life. I find it reprehensible that we allow torture of children in this way to this day. I don't understand trying to change something that I never chose. I just want to say, Sam, the one thing that you just said in the, the way you ended the video clip that I saw, which is, I can't change what I didn't choose. I feel yes. like that's a slogan that everybody just needs to start saying. It needs to be a t-shirt, a bumper sticker, because I think yes. that is so succinct and it's, I mean, it's just perfect. Thank you. I try to end every single time I talk about the experience with it. Sam, you've come so far since all of this. You've accomplished so much since this ordeal. You helped pass a city ordinance protecting LGBT people from discrimination in Manhattan, Kansas. And you also were named top LGBT activist in the country last year by the Campus Pride Organization. And on top of that, you're an MIT student, nuclear scientist. Yeah, wow. nuclear engineering. Yep. You've wow. come so far. Thank you. And um, to also to read, you said God is such an important part of your life that you now say your life is heaven 
your life is perfect. Is that still the case? It's very much getting close. I think the large part about myself was that I learned, just like a lot of us do in the LGBT community, to build our own family. I'm not going to let the pain and the separation that I got determine who I will be. I hope to have beautiful children of my own. I look forward to someday, you know, who knows, serving my country politically. I think that it's going to be an amazing life, and I just have to keep working at doing what I can to make a difference. What's your relationship with your parents like today? So right now, my, my family and I are not on good terms. I'm not allowed to come back into the house. There's not very much communication that goes back and forth. Every once in a while, I will get to speak with my mom, which is really wonderful. I, I would love for my mother to know that I'm doing a good job at MIT. That would be, I think, something that most parents would be really happy and proud of. I absolutely 1,001% have forgiven them for what happened because I find that that's actually a major problem in our conversion therapy communities is that if we can't forgive those who put us through it, we tend to hold a lot of pain and anger, which can sometimes lead to suicide. Right. Healing starts with forgiveness. I think Amen. that's awesome, Sam. I think your story is great. I think you've come really far. Thank you. I mean, I, I do what I can with what I have. Well, you're amazing. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your story today. It touched a part of my heart. I'm glad it can make an impact. And please Always continue doing your work. I will. I promise. The Bo Show.